Folks, we're starting a new series today, and it's uh, in the second letter of Peter. Now, second Peter is an unusual letter. It's really actually a powerful letter, because it tells us a lot of things, but it's actually an awkward letter. It, what do you mean awkward, George? Well, because I've read it before. What do you mean by awkward? Well, it's awkward for a preacher to preach. Okay, because you really need to have the right things going on for it to make sense. Did you understand what I'm saying? You really need, when you think about what's going on in the letter, you really need to be aware of what's happening around you. And I think we're in that time. Okay? We're in that time now where things are different. I mean, I'm not just talking about watching the news, but things things are different. People are different. Have you noticed that? And I'm not just talking about people are fussed up about politics like they've never been fussed up before. Lay that aside. But people are different. People are different in a lot of ways. What do you mean? People are different in, number one, their desire about spiritual things. And I think it's affecting all of us. It's affecting me that all of a sudden there's like a lack of desire for spiritual things, for, for God's guidance and direction in life. Maybe you're noticing that in your, in your own life. You're like, well, you know, I used to be more excited about Jesus. Why am I not excited now? And, and so there's this sense of it, like when we sang it in the song, Desperate Times, We Believe. Okay, These are desperate times. In fact, so I've heard some people say, and maybe they're right, that what we're seeing is, because it's typically churches now, across the board in the U.S., are seeing a 30 to 40% decrease in, in people attending. And before you would say, hmm, maybe it's that church, maybe there's something going on at that church. Well, you know, yeah, you would originally say that. That's what you were taught to say, okay, what's going on in our church? But the reality is, it's in churches across the board. It's in churches throughout. I know that's true in our community. I know that's true in our state, in our nation. What's going on? Some would say, okay, well, maybe that's what Paul was talking about, the great falling away. Have you heard of that, where there would be a falling away from the faith? We can talk about that some other time. But these are difficult times, hostile times. What do you mean hostile? Well, have you noticed that all of a sudden it's not cool to be a Christian? It's not like the thing you want to tell people that you believe? You know what I'm saying? You might see somebody on the, on, a, on some kind of talk show saying that, you know, you mean you talk to Jesus and Jesus talks to you? you got a mental health problem. That did happen on a very popular show for the ladies. So what's going on here? We're living in a world that seems upside down, right? That's changing. Because before you had like, you knew what was right, you knew what was wrong. Now you've got a world that's telling you what you believe was right is wrong. And what you thought was wrong is now right. And how do you function in that? That's why we come to Second Peter. Second Peter, to be very honest with you, is an appropriate letter now. It's a letter that's going to address how to 
deal with these issues. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this whole issue of having faith, because all that stuff I just talked to you about affects your faith, right? It affects what you believe. It affects whether or not you want to see God work in your life or you believe that God will work in your life. So how, how do you have faith in adversity? So that's what we're going to talk today from the first two verses, which are the introduction. But before we get to the first two verses, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, I want to talk about the perceived threats that we think are out there. Okay, notice I use the word perceived. Perceived has the concept of you are thinking that these are threats. But they're not necessarily threats. These are threats that maybe you've heard some speakers say are threats to your faith. But they're perceived. They're not necessarily actual. So we're going to talk about perceived threats. And then from really an overview of the entire letter, Second Peter, we're going to see what the actual threats are. What your actual threats are to your faith. Do you understand? And then we're going to have a starting point. We're going to start with something that you need to have, a foundation, as we get into this letter for you to understand as you are living in a hostile world trying to have your faith. So let's talk about the perceived threats. Here's the first one. We tend to believe that the culture is one of the greatest threats to our faith. We tend to believe that the culture, or if you don't like the word culture, use society. We tend to believe that the culture is one of our greatest threats to our faith. And you hear that continually, whether it's on Christian radio, Christian publications, that we've got to have this fight, this moral fight, you've got to get with the right party, because if we don't, we're going to lose our Christianity, and that's the problem. And I'm going to tell you, that's not biblical. That's somebody trying to get you worked up about something else. Because the fact of the matter is, can I tell you? Listen to me. Your, the culture has nothing to do with you believing in Jesus Christ. The culture has nothing to do with you coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And the culture can't take that away from you. Isn't that what Paul said? Nothing can separate you from what? The love of God? And he goes through a whole list talking about this and angels and all of that. Nothing can separate you. My friends, they can even kill you, the scripture says, and you'll still have your faith. So it's the perceived threat that we have. It's our culture and it's changing. We've got to remind ourselves of a few things. What, like, what do you mean? Well, think about when the church started out. How would you like to live in that culture? What do you mean? Well, that culture was not anything like the culture we live in right now. That culture had no value of human life. You didn't like your children, you just threw them outside to be exposed and to die. Your son disobeyed you, you had the power of sword in your own home. You could kill your own son because you needed to get control of your house. It was okay to have multiple wives and multiple concubines. It was a world 
very, very different from our own. A world that was totally anti-God, anti-Christian, and the th church thrived in it. The church provided an alternative. It wasn't the threat. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the perceived threats is we tend to believe that, that the culture is one of our greatest threats to our faith. Here's the second perceived threat that we have. Okay? Here's the second one. We tend to believe that other belief systems are a threat as well. We tend to believe that other belief systems are a threat as well. It's interesting, over the last 10 years, you would, you would be convinced that Islam is the greatest threat to Christianity. Isn't that interesting? That's what we see on the news, right? That's what you're hearing on a Christian radio program and so forth. Can I tell you, the exact opposite is true. The greatest threat to Islam is Christianity. What do you mean? Like, okay, right now, Iran. Everybody see Iran? They're taking over oil tankers in the, in the, in the, in the Persian Gulf right now. What you don't hear in the news is the Iranians have a problem. It's an internal problem. They don't talk about it, but it's actually affecting them. What problem is that, George? It's called a house church movement. There are large numbers of Iranian Muslims who have become disenchanted with Islam, and they are embracing, are you listening to this, Jesus Christ. And they're meeting in homes. So much so, it's become the number one threat internally to Iran that they're cracking down on a house church movement. Throughout the, in fact, if you go throughout North Africa, it is an amazing movement of God that we don't hear about because we perceive them as the threats of Muslims coming to Christ. Belief systems are not your threat. Folks, you're not threatened by the Jehovah Witnesses, are you? You just don't want to open the door for them. You're not threatened by the Mormons. Oh, there's those two guys with white shirts riding bicycles. We better be careful. Nothing can attack your faith in Christ. And notice, those are the perceived threats that we operate on. We've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about the culture. We've got to do something about these other faith things. My friends, those are not the threats. So can I tell you what the actual threats are? There's three of them. There are actually three threats that threaten your faith. And you might be shocked to find out what they are. Here's the first one. Okay? Here's the first one. One of the greatest threats to your faith is the ignorance, is an ignorance of your salvation. One of the greatest threats to your faith is an ignorance of your salvation. What do you mean by that, George? Well, that's one of the greatest threats you have is not understanding what salvation is, what salvation has done for you, and what salvation has provided for you in this world. That's one of the greatest threats you have. Because most Christians, can I be honest with you, have no understanding. They All they know is, is that at some point they asked Jesus into their life, and at some point they believed, but then somebody said, you'll be okay because you're going to go to heaven later on. But they didn't tell them anything about living their life right now. 
and what salvation has done for them right now. And so that is the greatest threat that you have. The greatest threat to your faith is not even understanding the salvation you have. That's why we have chapter 1 in 2 Peter. 2 Peter, the entire chapter, is devoted to giving you an understanding of the salvation you have, what God has done for you, what's expected of you, and what greatest provision he's given you, that is the word of God, for you to live your life here. But the problem is, most people don't know that. So they're easily distracted by the second threat. Second threat. Notice with me now the second threat. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The presence of false teachers among believers is a major threat. The presence of false teachers among believers is a major threat. I want you to listen. Paul warned the church all the way back in Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse 30, he says this, and also from among yourselves, okay, he's talking about the church, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Men will rise up from within the church and they'll say things and they'll say things that are perverse. Now, when we talk about perverse, we're not talking about sexually perverse. We're talking about the truth being perverted. And the truth being perverted so that now they have people who follow after them and who hold to them as being the right thing. And folks, we're seeing that right now all around us. It is amazing. You know, I, I listen to Christian radio and I listen to preachers, but it's amazing that some of the guys you listen to on the radio are crashing and burning because they're found out to be what? Frauds. There's a major guy just here in the last year. Major guy, everybody was listening to him, came out of Chicago. Then you find out he's making almost a million dollars a year that he didn't tell his church about because they didn't need to know how much he was making. And everything was about him. But you know what? If you went and asked him about his theology, his theology was right. If you listened to his preaching, his preaching sounded good. The problem was, is he had a false life. A completely false life. Folks, that's what chapter 2 in 2 Peter is about. Chapter 2, 2 Peter, talks about false teachers. We have a tendency to think of false teachers as like a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or something like that. Folks, False teachers are those who come from within the church and they teach you wrong things because they're only interested in men following them. That's the second threat. Now here's the third one. You might be surprised by the third one, okay? Here's the third actual threat that you and I are going to face in our Christian lives and you're facing it right now. Here it is. Finally, misunderstanding the Lord's return threatens your faith as well. Misunderstanding the Lord's return threatens your faith as well. 
What are you talking about, George? Well, here's what I find is very interesting. As we're moving in this crescendo of all these difficult things that are going on around us, I'm actually amazed at the number of people who are actually confused about what's going on. They're actually shocked and surprised, and they make some of the wildest, craziest statements without realizing that what they're seeing happening before their eyes they were actually warned about in the Bible. They were actually told that those things were going to take place. And then it's all pointing to something that we all believe, but really, to be honest with you, we don't expect. The return of Jesus. If I were to say to you, do you guys believe that Jesus will return? Yeah, yeah, we all believe that. We all raise our hands. Well, I'm, I believe that. But then would you say... Well, do you know when or how or what are the events that will take place? Well, you know, I don't know about that. And then what happens is, is when you see all these wild things happening in the news and you hear people say, here's one, I've heard this many times, we're living in the tribulation. Really? That's interesting. Do you even know what happens in the tribulation? Are you sure about that? Do you even know when the tribulation will begin? Very clear when it begins. Paul makes it very clear when it happens. Somebody has to be revealed first. Daniel makes it very clear. Something's got to take place with the nation Israel for that to take place for that final week, for those final seven years. Do you see what I'm saying? What happens is, is that the greatest threat for you is your faith is a not understanding the end times. Why? Because here's what happens. You don't understand the end times, you lose hope. Hope. Well, what's that got to do with anything, George? No, no. Your faith is built on a hope, isn't it? A hope of what? Jesus Christ coming back for you, saving you, bringing you out of this world. But if you remove that hope or diminish that hope because of misunderstanding, that's a threat. See, it's not what's going on on outside of the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, it's not what's happening in the culture. It's not some other world religion. It's not that at all. That's, that, that's really not the threat. The threat are within the church. What is it? Ignorance, ignorance of your own salvation, false teachers, and misunderstanding your hope. And to be honest with you folks, that's what Second Peter deals with. Chapter 3, the focus of chapter 3 is hoping to establish you in your faith, in your hope, in what? Jesus coming back. So that's why we're hitting this letter. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this letter to help us to understand. And we say, okay, George, well, we haven't even gotten into the passage yet. He said we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Yeah, because that's the starting point. That's the starting point for you and for me. There are some statements that are made in this greeting that you need to grasp a hold of to help you to understand. As we talk about strengthening our faith by addressing these threats over the next few weeks, over the next few months. So I want you to notice with me. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Simon Peter, 
a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, here's what I'm going to do, folks. I'm going to bring out of these two verses three things for you and I to start with and to rest on, okay? These are three things, three truths that you and I need to grasp in order for us to really rest upon as we strengthen our faith. These are three things that really you need to start your day out with. Three things that you need to start your day out. What do you mean start my day out with? Well, you know what? I know what life's like. I'm a human being. You're a human being. I know that like I start out my day and I think my day is going to go good. I've got a good day today. And then boom, something happens and you're like, do you even love me, God? You start questioning your faith, your hope, your trust. And the day started out wonderful. But it didn't end wonderful. And your faith is struggling. This is a starting point. Let's look at these truths together. Three of them, okay? First one, we're going to see, second part of verse 1. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the first one. Here's where you need to start. Here's the truth. You received your precious faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You received your precious faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to break that down for you. A couple things you need to grasp here. I'm going to look at a greater point, and I'm going to bring it down to a smaller point. Okay? Here's the greater point. When you came to Christ, whenever that was, for some of you, that was when you were a child with your mom or your grandma. Some of you, like myself, maybe that was when you were a young adult, but at some point, you came to a place where you realized that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you. And that because of his death on the cross, you realized that you needed that for your life. Because in and of yourself, you could not, what? You can't deal with the sin. You don't have forgiveness. You don't have a relationship with God. And you go to him and you say to him, Lord, here I am. I believe you died for me. And at that moment, you were saved. Okay? At that moment, you gave your life to Christ. And here's what happened. You received faith. God gave you faith to believe him. And it wasn't because of you. Does everybody understand that? It wasn't because you were raised in the right home. It wasn't because somebody shared with you the right way. It wasn't because you went to the right church. It wasn't because of how smart you are. It wasn't because of how beautiful or handsome you are. And, and, and all of that stuff. It wasn't because of any of that stuff. It had nothing to do with you. It wasn't because of how perfect you were, that you didn't do that stuff, and you didn't, I mean, and you were, it wasn't because of any of that. In fact, there's nothing about you that could merit having God forgive you. Do you understand? We all deserve to die. It was because of what, Jesus? Your salvation because of one person only, Jesus, not because of you. 
That's the starting point. What do you mean? Because here's what I want you to understand. Everybody here agrees with it. My salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not because of me, but because of him. Would everybody agree with that? Okay. Why then do we live our lives like his acceptance of me day by day is based upon how I'm living my life right now? Why do we live that way? Because all of a sudden now I know I'm saved, but he doesn't love me anymore. Why? Where did you get that from? Does a parent quit loving their child even if they do wrong? No. You continue to love your child, right? You continue to love and say, what makes you think God's different? By the way, he loved you not because of you, but because of Jesus. See, the starting point is you received your precious faith through the righteousness of Jesus. That's the greater point. Here's a, here's a smaller point. Peter uses the word, so I'm using the word Peter uses to describe your faith. Precious. Your faith, the scripture is saying to you, is precious. Why? Okay, think about it for a moment. We just sang that song, We Believe. And I saw, I heard some of you singing that, singing that like you believe it. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And you're like, yeah, I believe. That's precious. Why? How many people you know don't believe? Have no interest in believing? Couldn't care less? Think you're weird? What's the difference? I mean, you could even have family members. I have family members. They're like, what? What are you? What are you, are you have you lost it? It's precious. Why? Because for some reason, God showed grace to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? For some reason, God opened your heart and your mind to embrace the faith and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that precious? That's precious, isn't it? That's the starting point. The starting point is understanding your salvation. Understanding your salvation. That's what's awesome. Here's the second thing. We see it in the second verse. Look with me. This is a blessing that he's bestowing. It's very traditional to the letters. We see that he's, this in Paul's letters. We see it also in Peter's letters. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this blessing is traditional, but it's also truth. So I'm going to grab two things out of here that you need to understand for your life. You need to understand this. You need to grasp it. Remember, I told you, you have a precious faith that comes from who? Jesus, because of Jesus, not because of you, right? Everybody agree with that? All right. Here's the second truth that's a starting point. If you're going to have faith in this world, you've got to grasp this point. Here it is. It's the Lord's desire that grace and peace be multiplied in your life. It's the Lord's desire. Peter, when he's expressing that blessing... Paul, when he's exp expressing that blessing, he's expressing God's desire for you that peace and grace would be multiplied in your life. That you would experience peace and grace. Now, let's stop for a moment. Is that something we need? I, I need it. 
I mean, because life in itself is chaos, isn't it? How many of you have been up at night? I mean, you might have been up last night because it was hot. But I mean, how many of you have been up at night because of crises that are happening? Stuff that you don't know how to handle. I mean, it eats your lunch, right? And, and, and grace. What is grace? Grace, uh, here's, a, here's a George Cannon definition, is, is mercy you don't deserve. Mercy you don't deserve. And here's what it says. It says that it's God's desire. Paul's saying, grace and peace be what? Multiply. He's not just wanting you to experience grace and peace. He's wanting it to be multiplied in your life. Now what is multiplication? It means that it's increasing in your life. See, this is the picture that happens in the New Testament. Ephesians gives the picture of grace coming upon us, grace upon grace. Now what's that like? You know what? I love the ocean. Okay, love the ocean. I love camping at the ocean. Right now I'm in mourning because we just sold our camper. Greatest memories I have were being with that camper with a family at the beach. And I love the beach. What do I love the beach about? I love those waves. You ever notice the, the waves just keep coming in one wave after another? Have you noticed the waves don't stop? If they stop, we're in trouble. The moon, something's wrong with the moon. That's the picture of grace. Grace upon grace. Isn't that wonderful, folks? Don't you need grace upon grace in your life? See, that's the truth. See, we're worried when we're going through the stuff that we're going through, when we're, we're struggling, and we're wondering, oh, God, do you love me? Look, his desire is that something be multiplied in your life, folks. Peace. I need peace. And Grace. Grace. See, that's the second truth. First truth, understanding your salvation, that precious faith you have, comes through who? Jesus. Second grace, he wants what multiplied in your life? Peace and grace. Peace and grace. Here's the third truth. This is the starting point that you need to understand. If we're going to talk about having faith in an adverse world, okay, against the real threats, not the perceived threats, but against the real threats. Here they are. Here's the final one. Grace and peace can only be experienced through the relationship with the Lord. Look at what it says there. You're saying, well, wait a minute, George, you know I'm reading my Bible here and it says through the knowledge of God. It's like knowing stuff. No, no, actually our English translation doesn't bring out an accurate translation here. The knowledge here that is talked about is an experiential knowledge. It's knowledge by experience, not knowledge of facts. So you're going to have this grace and peace multiplied in your life because you are experiencing who in your life? God. Jesus. So it comes through the relationship. All right, so let me just stop for a moment because this just occurred to me. This is for me and this is for you. Remember I just told you earlier that we live in a weird time now where it seems like even our own desires for God have diminished? Have you noticed that? Okay. I mean, and, 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 and that's, that's a re really real issue. I mean, I, 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 there's a, there's a, Pastor theologian John Piper, who wrote a book, 
to try to address this issue. It says, when I no longer desire God. It's a good book. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This just occurred to me. If you're recognizing in your life that your relationship isn't where it should be with the Lord, and you want something different, you want it to be back where it should be, then you got to make a decision. i got to make a decision. Are we going to fight for it, or are we just going to give up? Because the key to you experiencing the grace and the peace in your life, listen to me, the key to experiencing the grace and peace that God wants to multiply in your life, okay? That's what God talks about. He's not talking about building your bank account. That's some preacher on TV that wants you to send them money, okay? Do you understand? That's some preacher who wants you to send them money. They're the only ones who are being multiplied. But what God is interested in is you being multiplied with grace and peace in your life as you face this world. If you want that, the key to it is your relationship. But you say, well, wait a minute, George, my relationship isn't where it should be. Then you got to fight for it. you got to discipline yourself. What does that mean? Take some time out. Don't just expect it to happen. You know that. Relationships with God are like relationships with human beings. If there's something wrong in the relationship, you've got to spend time with each other, right? Work things out. That's got to happen. Till what comes back? That desire for him comes back. Now, the wonderful thing is, is who gives you that desire? God. So you're praying all along, Lord, I'm spending time with you. Can you give me back that desire again for you? See, that's different than a human relationship, right? Human relationship, because hey, let's spend more time together. I want to get I want to they might say, forget you. But with God, He doesn't say forget you. He wants that relationship with you. So there we are. So that's the starting point. We've got these real threats around us. What real threats? We're ignorant of our salvation. We've got false teachers that are rising up from among us. And we don't understand the hope that we have in Jesus. So where do we start? Number one, you start with realizing that the faith you have comes from who? Jesus. And that he wants to multiply what in your life? Grace and peace. But that only comes through one thing, your relationship with him. So here's what you got to do. Here's two things you got to do, okay? First of all, number one, number one, you have to be realistic concerning the threats to your faith. You have to be realistic. I find that a lot of people, even those that I listen to on radio, are not realistic. They're almost in hysteria. Because the stuff that they're hysterical about is not the stuff that's going to affect you and your relationship with God. Look, the country could fall apart. You're still going to have God. Do you understand? And that's what ultimately is the issue, whether or not you have Jesus. But the greatest threat to you right now is that relationship. What's attacking your relationship right now with God? So you got to be realistic about it. And so maybe it is, you know what, I don't truly understand 
what I have in Jesus through salvation, then you got to do something about that. I'm being influenced by some guy on TV or some guy on the radio that isn't right. He says he's right, but there's something not right there. I'm going to tell you something. If you've got a gut check, you've got something going on in your gut where you're kind of questioning something, you better pay attention to it. Because a lot of times when it comes to guys that you're listening to and you're wondering about, oh, you may, you may actually be right. I know that, I know that from actual experience. What do you mean? I had a man in my life who uh, was a mentor to me, was a mentor. Um, he was very influential in where I ended up going to study for the ministry. He was on my ordination council. He married Lori and I. He was instrumental in me getting my first church. And as I interacted with him, there were things that I saw that just were, mm, I'm not, you know, I, I, I would see these things and I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. But I would over, I would be like, well, you know, he's pastor so-and-so. It's okay. Now, my wife, she was different. She saw right through it. But I wasn't listening to her. Until his life blew up and he took a whole church down with him. Then you were like, oh, those warning flags you saw, they were real. They meant something. They meant something. So sometimes the first things you see, you need to pay attention to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, see, this is the thing. You have to be realistic about the threats to your faith. You have to. Here's the second thing. Begin to actively strengthen your relationship with the Lord. Start it. Start it. Where do I start, George? Start reading your Bible. Start praying. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, oh God bless the missionaries and oh God bless the church. Oh God bless George. And, and you know, God bless my family. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. Don't waste your time on those kind of prayers. Well, you don't want me to pray for the church and you. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm saying don't. Those are mindless prayers. I would start off real. God, my relationship with you is not what it should be. Lord, I know the reasons. And I would just start talking to him. Sometimes it's, God, I did this. You know I did. Please forgive me. God, right now, my desire for you is not where it should be. Can you re can you revitalize that again? Can you do like David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me? Psalm 51. What? That'd be a great place to start, wouldn't it? Psalm 51, reading that. But you start talking to him. And you start resting in him. And I'm not just talking about for five minutes in the morning. I'm talking about throughout the day. God, you know, I'm, I'm mad right now. I'm at work and the boss is doing this and I don't know how to handle this, these feelings. Can you help me? Talk to him right then. Talk to him. That's where you start. Communicating with him. And you'll see the most interesting thing happen. What? George? Grace and peace be multiplied in your life. 
grace and peace. In fact, isn't that what he promised? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, what? Let your requests be made known unto God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that his desire for you? Then you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Let me pray for you.